code. Perfect. And uh, okay. Uh, hello, friends, and welcome to another exciting Habura members shiur. Today is the first installment of a fascinating halakha series on Evan Hayezer, exploring the halakhot of family relations, including topics such as common law marriage, civil marriage, egg donation, and surrogacy. We are honored and privileged to have this series given over by a class eight Talmir Chacham, Dayan Ofer Livnat. Um, I think I see some new faces. So uh, welcome to the Chabura. The Chabura is a physical and virtual Bet Midrash with international membership dedicated to exploring the classical Sephardi approach to Torah and committed to know God by embracing the Torah as a lens for the world. Uh, this is an incredible initiative, and I highly suggest everyone get involved. Uh, for those who aren't already on, uh, links to our Hebrew and English WhatsApp groups will be posted, so all can stay updated with the exciting shiurim, events, and publications we have planned. Uh, as mentioned, we are honored to have Dayan Livnat with us. Uh, Dayan Ofer Livnat is a Dayan of the Sephardi Bet Din of the UK. And a graduate of the Eretz Hamda Institute. Hmm. Um, a, a graduate of the Eretz Hamda Institute for the Advanced Jewish Studies in Yerushalayim. Dayan Livna teaches in a number of programs for training rabbis and Dayanim, including the Semichan Dayanut program, run jointly by the Montefiore Endowment of London and Eretz Hamda. Dayan Livnat has previously served in an artillery unit in the IDF and is currently studying for a PhD in Jewish Studies at University College London. Uh, so in other words, we are very lucky. Uh, the source sheet has been shared on the groups, uh, but will be posted again. If you have any questions, feel free to raise your hand or post your questions in the chat box. Uh, hopefully, time permitting, there will also be time for questions at the end. Uh, with that said, thank you all for coming, and thank you so much, Dan Livnat. Chacham, the floor is yours. Okay, thank you, Ohad, for that uh, introduction. Um, again, I would like to make this uh, as interactive as possible, so if anybody has uh, questions, comments, or even better arguments, uh, which is uh, usually my favorite part of Shulim. So uh, feel free to uh, uh, to attack me uh, in any way uh, during the during the uh, issue. Um, so what we're discuss tonight is basically we're we're going to try and understand marriage according to the Torah. Now, marriage was not invented by the Torah, so to speak. Marriage, even if you just read. You know, the Tsukim in the, the Tanakh, it's clear that the concept of marriage existed um, before the Torah was given, before Matan Torah. Nevertheless, once the Torah was given, the Torah added certain components to how marriage is done, also to how divorce is done, and also prohibitions or restrictions were put on having relations outside the framework of marriage. Okay, now all those things, as we'll learn, are intertwined. So what we're really trying to start to do tonight is understand what, what are these components that the Torah added to marriage? You know, what are they? What, are, what is their significance? And from that, I hope to uh, next week get into the question of a civil marriage, which is sort of a more modern day question, but this is a, it's a question that comes up very, very often in Bataydin, how we view Jews that have married only civilly, that haven't gone through the proper process of Pavekidushin. Um, and what is the what are the halachic, what is the halachic status of them? Are they considered to be married al piyalacha or not? Which has tremendous uh, ramifications in many cases. But before that, we're going to, like I said, to start to try to understand the basic concepts, and we're going to focus on mainly the shita of Harambam. Why? Because Rambam he was the one that addressed this issue really with the most clarity and the most depth, 
uh, I, in the source pages, you can find also other opinions of Rishonim as well. But the, 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 the main one that I would like to focus on is the opinion of Haramba. Okay, so first of all, we'll start off with where does the Torah say that you need to be married to have relations? Where is the prohibition of having relations outside the framework of marriage? So based on the simple reading of Sukim, it would seem that the following is the source word. I'll share the, the source pages. And this is a verse in Sefer Dvarim. So what does this mean? So we're focusing on the first half of this verse. And the verse says, Now, actually, if you remember uh, from a recent Parashat Shavua, we have uh, the word Kedesha also appearing. Anybody remember where? Uh, with Tamar. And uh, we've dug those uh, to meet Tamar, and he's, he's referred to as pretending or presenting herself as a Kedesha, so that way uh, to lure him in. Exactly. In other words, you again, the whole story of Yehuda and Tamar, where uh, Yehuda, uh, she, Tamar was married to Yehuda's sons, and one died, and the second died, and then he didn't want to give her off uh, to the third uh, son, even though that should have been what was required to do according to the laws of Yibum, um, that if uh, a brother dies out without children, then the next brother must take the widow. And Yehud, Tamar disguised herself and presented herself as a prostitute. And uh, she had relations with Yuda, and then afterwards Yuda gave her some collateral, and afterwards he searched for her. Again, he wasn't aware that it was really his... Uh, that was really Tamar, and he asks, Where is that Kedesha? So we see that the Kedesha is um, um, <laughs> a woman serving in a dubious profession. Okay, so it seems that's what the Torah is prohibiting here. And this is also uh, the interpretation of the Sifrei. The Sifrei is the Halachic Midrash of Chazan on Sefer Dvarim. And that's what the Sifrei says, In other words, a woman that makes her services available uh, to anyone who's willing to pay uh, her fees. So that's, that's, again, obviously the Torah is describing here, you could say, not every form of relations outside the framework of marriage, but at least uh, uh, prostitution seems to be prohibited. There is another interpretation to this verse, which is stated here in the Targum of Unkelus, in the translation of Unkelus to Aramaic. And this is what's the way many Rishonim actually understood the verse to actually being prohibiting something else. And that is, Unkelus here translates, that a Jewish woman may not marry a man who is a slave, okay? I'll try to just explain a little bit what this means. So basically, we know we're familiar with the division of uh, Jews and non-Jews. However, there is a, what we call in halakha, a sort of intermediate position of a non-Jewish person who is owned as a slave uh, by a Jew. Obviously, this is not something that exists nowadays, but it did exist in the past. This was called Evid Knani. Now, once now once a Jew pur- purchases an Evid Knani, a non-Jew, as a slave, that he undergoes a 
partial conversion. Okay, and in Eved Knani, he is he is partially obligated the mitzvot. He's not obligated in all the mitzvot, but he's obligated in some of the mitzvot, and he's considered to be in an in-between status, in between being non-Jewish and in between being Jewish. And actually, if he gets set free by his owner, then he becomes fully Jewish. In other words, he doesn't revert back to being a non-Jew, but rather that's considered to, to complete his conversion. And now he becomes uh, fully Jewish. It could be with a man or a woman. Um, however, a Jew or a Jewish can, and cannot marry, or a Jewish woman cannot marry a, a slave, okay? Because they're not considered to be fully Jewish. And Unkelus explains that when it says Loti Ekdesha, it's actually referring to that. And you can imagine in those times, this might not have been so uncommon because if you would have in your household, you know, these uh, slaves or whether male or woman, you know, it was bound to happen that um, they would have uh, uh, relations between each other and the Jews in the houses that they served. And therefore, according to Unkelus, that's what the Torah is coming to prohibit. So according to many Rishonim, the source for prohibiting mar marriage outside of um, the relations outside of marriage is not learned out from this verse. They bring other sources for it. Um, and they claim that this verse is specifically coming to restrict relations with a, uh, a slave. However, we'll see the Rambam uh, does not follow that. And he, he understands this verse as actually uh, referring to prohibiting um, relations outside the framework of marriage. Okay, so without further ado, let's go on to the opinion of Rambam on this. Now, very interesting. I'll, I'll just make a brief note before we actually see the, the full opinion of Harambam. Is that it seems that Harambam, not in entire life, actually understood this way. In the Rambam's commentary on the Mishnah, I'll just make another brief introduction. We have almost the the Rambam wrote uh, a commentary on all of the Mishnah, and we have it almost in its entirety in his original handwriting. Okay, you can it's, you can some of it is actually located in London, um, a good portion of it, and you, you can you can see online uh, uh, the full uh, the full uh, images of the manuscript of the Rambam's commentary in the Mishnah in his own handwriting. What's very interesting is that. The Rambam cor made corrections on, in it throughout his lifetime. And what happened was that when he, even though he might have originally written something, if at a later point in his life he changed his opinion on it, then he would cross out what he wrote, wrote previously and rewrite or make additions. And Rav Kappa, who was the main, the first one to, to publish, uh, again, it was written in Arabic, so it was translated to Hebrew. So Rav Kappa, who um, in recent times was the one who redid a translation of all the Perusha Mishnah of the Rambam, utilizing the manuscript of, in the Rambam's own handwriting, he notes each time that we have one of these changes. And often you can decipher what was the Rambam's earlier opinion in his life and what, how he changed his opinion later on. So here we have an example of such a case where in the current version we have of Perusha Mishnah, in other words, the later, the updated opinion of the Rambam, he writes, Somebody who has relations with an unmarried woman, he receives lashes for that. And in other words, that's the standard punishment for any prohibition from the Torah. 
And we'll see that he learns it out from this verse. However, Rav Kapach makes a note here that in note 52 here, he says, Ubitsiruto, Savara Benu Shelokima Lami de Rabanan, Vezegashono Lefima Durakama, Ubilata Ishap Nuyahavima Lam Alkotmi de Rabanan. In other words, that there was no restriction on this from the Torah, it was only uh, rabbinical. However, afterwards, as he says here, okay? Later on, he changed his mind and he erased and he rewrote as we have above. Okay? So let's see what is Dornabam's later opinion. So he says in Sefer HaMitzvot, he says as follows, we won't read the section entirely, we'll just read the beginning. He says, the mitzvah shinun hei, hi shiziranu shelo lavo alisha belo ktuva u belo kidushin, vhu omroi tbarach lo tiyek desha mibnot Yisrael. Okay, so we see from this verse, the Rambam learns out that one may not have relations with the woman without a ktuva and without Kiddushin. Okay, very interesting uh, formulation. He repeats this formulation also in his title to Hilchot Yishut, where he lists the mitzvot that appear in Hilchot Yishut, and he also says, Sheloti ba'el isha belok Kiddushin. Okay, what is the ktuva and the Kiddushin? So I'll explain. In When you marry a woman, there are two main stages. The first stage is Kiddushin, and the second stage is what we call chupa. Okay, Kiddushin is an act by which a person acquires the woman. Okay, what does it mean acquire her? He doesn't own her entirely, but rather it means that he acquires the exclusive rights to have relations with her, and that once the Kiddushin is done, no other man is permitted to have relations with her. There are, uh, according to Chazal, there are three ways that you can do the Kiddushin. Either by either through kesef giving her something of value, or by a star, um, presenting her a document which states that he has done kiddushin to her, that he's acquired those exclusive rights to have relations with her, or with dia actually by having relations with her with the intent of doing it for the sake of kiddushin. That's also another way to do kiddushin, and that is the first stage that a person must do when he marries her. The second stage is what we call chupa, okay, which according to Rabbam essentially means to bring the woman into your home. Um, and as part of prior to doing the chupa, bringing her into your home, you also have to write a ktuva. What is a ktuva? Ktuva is essentially a certain amount of money that the husband obligates himself to, to, to the wife. Originally, it might have even been given at the time of the marriage. And if you look at Sukim and the Torah, it seems that it was actually given to the father of the, um, of, of, of the, the woman that, that he was marrying. We, we can see it in the Torah, it's referred to as Moha Betulot. However, Chazar later on, what they did was instead of, instead of the husband actually paying that amount uh, of the Ketuvah up front, Chazar, what instead they did is they, 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 they changed it into an obligation that he would obligate himself that she would receive this son um, either upon divorce or upon his death. Okay, 
but it is a sense a certain amount of money that it could have been actually given at the time of marriage, but it was uh, um, it was uh, again, as I said, it was later on uh, shifted into being a, a an obligation of a, of a certain sum that that uh, the husband owes to her, and it's paid upon either divorce or 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 his death. Okay, if she dies first, then then uh, the ketuvah isn't given. Okay, so those are those are so the, the kiddushin and the ketuvah they signify these two stages of marriage. In other words, first to do the kiddushin. And then afterwards, the ketuvah, which includes also, you know, the, the bringing her into your home and, um, and all that surrounds that. And if you haven't done that, then it's prohibited uh, to have relations with a woman only within the framework of marriage that includes these two stages. You're allowed to have relations with a woman. Otherwise, you're transgressing the prohibition of lotiyek deshabim lotisir. Okay. Now, based on that formulation, it would seem that any time that you haven't done that, any time that you haven't done the full marriage according to the Torah, then you're transgressing this prohibition of lotiyek deshabim lotisrim. Okay? However, if we carefully read that thought, we receive a slightly different picture, that that's not precisely the case. Okay? So now let's go into the halachot of the Rambam, and we'll see something quite unique that I don't think, at least to the best of my knowledge, does not appear anywhere else uh, in Harambam, this type of uh, formulation. By the way, if anybody has any questions or comments so far, please feel free to, to pop in. Okay. So this, now we're moving on to the beginning of Yilchot the laws of marriage. And as I said, here we have something very unique. I'm not aware of anywhere else that this type of formulation appears in the Rambam. And that is the Rambam here describes what was prior to Matan Torah, prior to the giving of Matan Torah, and what has changed since the Torah has been given. So he describes here as follows, and he says, Kodem Matan Torah, Prior to the giving of the Torah, a man might meet a woman in the market. If they both want that he should marry her, So he brings her, if they both want to marry, then he brings her into his home and he has relations with her and she is now his wife. Okay, so the concept of marriage existed already prior to the giving of the Torah, and it was done simply, again, if there's mutual desire, by him bringing her into his home and having relations with her. So... Once the Torah was commanded, it was given, Israel were commanded that if the man wants to marry the woman, he first has to do a kinyan, an act by which he acquires her, and this must be done in front of witnesses, and only then she becomes his wife. Okay? This act of taking her, of acquiring her, again, as I said, you're not acquiring her entirety, but the acquiring is only referring to the acquiring of the rights, the exclusive rights to having relations with her. So he says, This is a command from the Torah. There are three ways that the woman may be acquired. 
בכסף או בשטר או בביאה, either by something of monetary value or with a document or by actually having relations, ושלושתן דין תורה, ולקחין אלו הם הנקראים קידושין או אירוסין בכל מקום. This is also called קידושין or אירוסין. אירוסין nowadays, uh, we, which, we, which in modern Hebrew refers to engagement, is actually not the halachic status of Erusin. According to halacha, the Erusin is only after the Kiddushin are done. In times past, there was actually a time separation. It could be of a few months up to a year between when the Kiddushin were done and when the, the Nisuin were done bringing to our home. Nowadays, we do, it, we do them both together. We do the Kiddushin and the Chupah, uh, one immediately right after the other. Okay? But I guess originally these, these were separated into, into two stages. Uh, separated usually by at least a few months up to a year. Okay, the Isha she nikneet b'chad mishlosha dvarim elu hiya nikreet mekudeshet o meoreset. V'chivan she nikneet ha'isha v'naseh mekudeshet, once the woman has been acquired and she's now considered mekudeshet, af'al pi she'lo nivala ve'lo nikhnasa li beit bala, even though they never had relations, nor she's never entered the home of the husband, harei hi esheti, she's still, she's already considered to be a married woman, if any other man has relations with her, then um, he's subject to the death penalty. In other words, what happened here is that, again, prior to Matan Torah, the marriage was, uh, was done through him bringing her into her home. Now, after the Torah has been given, there's an act that comes before the husband bringing her into her home. That is this act of Kiddushin, which is done in front of witnesses, by which he acquires her. And once that is done, they are considered to be married. Okay, even though she never entered his home, uh, she, they've never had relations, already she's considered to be an Ashish Ish, and if they want to divorce, a get is required. There, there are still many differences that once he brings her into her home, there are many ramifications for that in terms of financial obligations. There are a tremendous amount of ramifications uh, once they do the next stage of chupa, where he brings her into into his home, but in regarding to her being defined as married and the requirement of a get, that already starts immediately after the kiddushin. Let's just ask a question. Sorry to put yes, in. Um, why do you think the Torah um, makes a, a, a man who's when they've gone through erusin? Um, why is it that he's then required to give a get? Is there an explanation to it? Because later on, I think in Hilchot Yishut, Rambam says something about until he actually machnis to the chuppah, most of the things of the kitubah are not relevant. So we, all, all the 14 chiyuvim, which are three in the Orayta and the rest of the, or four the Orayta and three. I just wonder why the Torah, or the release the rabbis understand that after Erusin, she's eshetish and slichar get. I just, I don't know if you've got an explanation as to why we, why we do that because well, nothing yeah. has happened at that point well that's, that's part of the goal of this year to try to explain that but oh, okay. uh, i'll just say i'll just say uh i'll just say briefly that the get is in essence the mirror of the kiddushin in other words the get is the undoing of the kiddushin you're right that most of the financial obligations and rights of, of marriage only come into place at the time of the uh nisuin of the chupa like for example the ktuva and all the other obligations of the husband to his wife to provide for her, uh, to have uh, relations with her, and all the rights that he receives from her, 
you know, uh, in the fruits of her assets and whatever it is, all those things only coming into place at, at the time of marriage. But just the, the, this, in other words, the fact that they're considered married is already done by the, the Kinyan of the Kiddushin, because the Kinyan of Kiddushin, in essence, gives him exclusive rights to have relations with her. And, and no other man can have at this point, and it's punishable by death. And the only way to undo the Kiddushin, except for, of course, if he dies, is through the Get. So the Get is really the, the mirror image of the Kiddushin in the sense that it comes to undo the Kiddushin. Okay? The difference is between Get and Kiddushin, the Kiddushin, you have three ways that you can do it. You can do it either by Kesef or by the Shtar or by uh, Biyah. The get, there's only one way you can do undo it. The, the, there's only one way to do a get, and the get is a star. It's, it's by a document. So by divorce, the Torah didn't give those options. But it just gave the one option of the star, which is the get, giving her the written document that says that you divorced her. But essentially, that's the undoing of the Kiddushin. So the two go together. As to why the Torah instituted this, because we see from Harambam that this is really what the Torah added. Marriage already existed beforehand. By the way, uh, let me ask everybody a question. How do you think divorce was done? Again, we said prior to the giving of the Torah, the marriage was done simply by the woman entering, the, the, the husband bringing the woman into his home for the sake of marriage. How was divorce done prior to Matan Torah? Can anybody guess? Presumably the reverse. The woman exiting the, the Excellent. house. Excellent. That the, 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 it was done by the reverse that the woman would leave the house or the man would leave the house and they would separate and not living, living together. And then not that they've gone on vacation, but they've decided to separate. And we see that actually, I didn't bring in the source pages, but we can see that in the Rambam, in the Halachot of uh, Bnei Noach, right? In the Rambam, in Ilfot Melachim, he also has the laws for uh, Noachide, in other words, if non-Jews that wish to abide by the Noachide commandments, so they also have a concept of marriage and divorce because one of the Sheva Mitzvot Neinoaf, one of the seven Mitzvot from Neinoaf is that they cannot have relations with a married woman. So how is marriage and divorce done by non-Jews who abide by the laws of Neinoaf? So it's done precisely as it was for everybody prior to the giving of the Torah. Marriage is done by them moving in and living together, again, for the purpose of marriage. And divorce is done by them separating, and it can be done, you don't need consent of each other. Either one of them can get up and leave the home, and they're considered uh, divorced. I'll tell you an interesting, an interesting anecdote regarding this. As you may be aware, there are different uh, organizations around the world of of non-Jews that wish to abide uh, by the Sheva Mitzvot Neinoach, which to me sounds like an excellent idea, because if, let's say, you're a non-Jew and you happen to come to believe that Hashem and the Torah is all true, um, instead of uh, trying to convert and get yourself into all the craziness of, of being Jewish, then you can simply uh, uh, be, be a ben Noach. And uh, you have the seven mitzvot minoch. Again, obviously, for a lot of people, that's not enough and they wish to, to undergo the full conversion. But there are groups of the, uh, organizations that that and communities that uh, of non-Jews that follow the the seven commandments of Neinoth. So one time, from one of these uh, organizations or communities, we received that Eretz Semdai question, and they asked, "How can we prevent the problem of agunot in our community of Neinoth?" And in other words, if if uh, a couple of Neinoth wants to get divorced, and let's say the husband is refusing. 
what do they do? We know that as Jews, we have problems of agunot, of men refusing to give a gift. So they asked, what do they need to do? And our answer was very simple. You don't have that problem. Because for B'nai Noach, if the woman wants to get up and leave, she can. She doesn't need anything from the husband to do so. And all, likewise, the man. He just leaves the home. And then they're considered divorced. So they don't have this problem of agunot at all. This whole problem of agunot was only uh, caused once the Torah instituted the requirements of the get, and the get, then you need you need the consent of the husband that he has to give uh, <clears throat> the get to the woman, and unfortunately, that's what uh, can create the problem of agunot. But Nainoff are saved from that because they don't have kiddushin uh, and they don't have gitin to, to, to the, uh, to the presumably they can be lost in battle and then have the agunot where you know they didn't they didn't desire to be divorced, but the husband has just disappeared. And, and we haven't got evidence that he's died. So presumably those sort of not they do have. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. If he's gone and he's not here and he hasn't been in the home a long time, I don't know, maybe that also, I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't think uh, of that. I ask you, you didn't yeah. mention the necessity for witnesses. I mean, the, the coming and the going, the wife in, the wife out, they just leave each other. There, there are no witnesses at all. That's exactly that's what we're going to get to. But the Rambam explains that that's why the Torah instituted the Kiddushin and the Kiddushin. Because of this concern, he writes this in the Moren de Vuchim, and the guy to be perplexed. That's exactly what the Torah wanted to stop. Because without putting in, you know, these clear procedures of a Kiddushin done in front of witnesses or a get given, which is also in front of witnesses, then how do you know? You know, the exactly. woman could say... I am married, I'm not married, it's in and out. It's very, it's very unclear. And that's one of the, the purposes when the Torah instituted uh, Kiddushin Vekitin is to, to prevent this type of um, shifting and, in and out under the pretext of marriage. And the Erosin Kiddushin has to be in the presence of two witnesses, two kosher yes, Kiddushin have to be done, both Kiddushin and Gitin have to be done in front of two kosher witnesses, otherwise it is not considered to have been done. If you do Kiddushin without witnesses... There, there Literally before the war, where two young people were very fond of each other and the parents didn't approve. And he, I know this from my mother. And uh, they went to a restaurant with friends. He produced a ring and he put it on the correct finger on her right hand and said the words. There were witnesses there and they're married. Only if there were witnesses. If there were no witnesses, yeah. they're not married. Of course. Thank you. Right. Only if there were witnesses. Yeah. There have been cases like that where even, I'll tell you more than that, where where it turned out later on, there was one such case recently in Israel, which received a lot of publicity uh, because the husband there was refusing to, to give the get and he was being very problematic. And then they looked back into the marriage and they discovered that one of the two witnesses on the original Kiddushin uh, was not a kosher witness. Um, for whatever reason, uh, the rabbi was not aware of that. And based on that, they said, the marriage is not null void, and therefore that's how they they saved that woman um, uh, in that case. So that uh, yes, yeah, so 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 kasher edim are certainly required for both kiddushin and giti. Okay, so let's move on now to to read the words of the Rambam. Continue. Now he has another description of kodematan Okay, and now he says as follows. Okay, 
נותן לסחרה ובועל אותה על אמא דרך והולכת. אוקיי, אז נוטיס שהמילים הן כמעט כמו שהתחלנו לבוא. Also, we have Kodem Atan Torah Ayadam Pogea Isha Bashuk. Prior to the giving of the Torah, a person would meet a woman Bashuk outside in the market, wherever it was. Im Ratzahu Vehi, again, same expression as above, Im Ratzahu Vehi, if there is a mutual uh, desire and consent. But here, the scenario is different. Here, Noten Laschara, he pays her um, her fees. And he has relations in other words, not in his home, but somewhere um, outside. I don't think that he means here literally speaking outside on, on the street, but rather it means not as opposed to in his home. It could be rather in a hotel or, or somewhere like that. But again, it's, it's, it's contrary to what he's describing here. of bringing her into his home. Here it's not necessarily in his home, it's somewhere else, okay? And this is considered Kedesha. And prior to the giving of the Torah, this was permitted. And we see this from the story of Yehuda, that he had relations with the Kedesha, and he did not think that he was doing anything wrong by that. His whole problem was that he didn't pay her, so he wanted to make sure that he paid her. But the actual having relations with the Kedesha was not an issue that was considered to be something legitimate. Once the Torah was given, now the Kedesha became prohibited. Okay, so that's no longer an option. And that is what the Torah says when it says, Therefore, Therefore, says Harambam, anybody who has relations with a woman for the purposes of znut, l'shem znut, in other words, for the purposes of znut, for the purposes of specifically a non-committal type of relations, okay, relations which is just a one-off thing, a temporary thing, not a, tempor- not a permanent marital uh, framework of relations, without having done Kiddushin, he is lokem in Torah, he now receives lashes, which is the punishment, the standard punishment for Torah prohibitions, because he has had relations with a Kedesha, again, with a woman uh, who has made herself available to, um, to multiple men, rather than a married woman who's essentially only making herself available to one man. Okay? Now, I'll ask you a very interesting question. The way we started off, um, we said earlier, when we read the Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvot, and in his title to uh, the Alachot HaBishut, basically it seemed that any time you didn't do Kiddushin, and you have relations with a woman, then already you're, you're transgressing the prohibition of Loti Yekdesha. If that's the case, Why did the Harambam, why did he need to describe two scenarios here? In other words, again, we read the Harambam and he described two scenarios. One scenario is that a man and a woman wish to marry. So then prior to Matan Torah, this was done. The Torah added that you need, uh, that if you wish to do that, you first have to do Kiddushin. Before bringing her into her home, first do the Kiddushin. Let's say, let's say you have that same scenario, 
that he brings her into his home and has relations with her without doing kiddushin. Is he tra- if he were to do that, if, he w- if we were to follow the same scenario that he described in Halakhah, in the first Halakhah, that he meets a woman, they wish to marry, and he brings her into his home without doing first kiddushin. He just brings her into his home and has relations with her, again, for the purposes of marrying her. Marrying her. Has he transgressed the prohibition of Loki Ekdesha? So according to the formulation we read earlier, it would seem to be, we would seem to say yes. Anytime a man has relations with a woman without Kiddushim, he's transgressed the prohibition of Loti Ekdesha. But if that's so, why did the Rambam, when he was coming to explain when you're transgressing the prohibition of Loti Ekdesha, why did he need to describe a second scenario of a man and a woman who just wish to have relations as a one-off, not necessarily in his home, and he pays her, and then they each go off to their own separate ways, and that's the case where if you do that, you're transgressing the prohibition of Loti Ekdesha. He could have said that the first case, and the first case as well, that if you haven't done Kiddushin, you're also transgressing the prohibition of Loti Ekdesha. Okay? Why did he need to sort of create a different scenario to explain the case of where you would be transgressing the prohibition of Loti Ekdesha? Doesn't it relate to, I guess you'd say, two different ways in which Kiddushin can be done, right? One tries to deal with the issue of whether you could just say, oh, well, uh, right? And so the first case relates to that and kind of uh, creating the line as to where that would not be the case, while the latter is does the same with uh, Kesef. In other words, it, it creates that line between where you could dif- where you differentiate where that does is like the matan what what change after matantara in those two specific areas. No, the, the second the second case is not a case where he's doing kiddushin. The second case, no, not it's not. Or... But it's but it's clarifying like if, in the event that you thought that oh you know it's a it's a uh, necessary but not sufficient kind of thing where sure, yes, he pays her for on a one-off occasion, but it shouldn't be confused. It shouldn't be confused as that having like a long standing legal implication beyond that moment. It's not, it's not Kiddushin. That's exactly the point. I, I hear what you're saying, but he doesn't seem to be addressing Kiddushin at all in the second scenario. Again, all he says that it, prior to Matanto life, this is what you did was permitted. Now that the Torah has been given, it's prohibited. That's what he describes it. That is essentially relations, l'shem's nu, clear relations, not for the sake of marriage, clear relations just as a one-off with a woman, and afterwards they both go off, go off on their separate ways. And he says now that's prohibited. Okay. Now what the Rambam there describes is a very extreme case, but we could have a case in, in between, like I said. We could have a case of a man and a woman who wish to have a permanent relation, Ship and he, she moves into his home, but they simply having to haven't done kiddushin. What is the case and what what is the halacha in that case? Will they, they are they considered to to have been transgressing the prohibition of loti Kiddushin or not? But that's that's the machloket. That's that's ne- not necessarily the case of l'shem znut, because if you say mm-hmm. if you say that there's no act of 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 um, biyah that is. It's related to Znut. So you could do it, you could look at it the way the Rambam formulates it as saying, if you take the Lashem Znut out, Belokidushim, 
it's not the same thing. But he's saying specifically bisonate. So I think a lot of commentators would assume that that's, he's trying to forbid Pilege or Pilagshut. No, we'll see. We'll get to that. You're, you're correct. You're, you're moving ahead. The Rambam does forbid Pilegish, but it does not seem to actually fall under the same prohibition of Loti Yekdusha. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is as follows, and I'll try now to bring a proof for it, that we sort of have, we sort of have two separate cases here. We have one case which is clearly the man and the woman have no commitment to each other, okay? And in that case, if they have those kind of relations, that is what the Torah prohibited in the prohibition of Loki Yekdashambi Loki Slev. And that is a type of relations that is specific for, like the Rambam says, Lashem Znut. There is no intent for marriage here. It's purely just to have relations and then move on. Okay, and that's the case that's clearly prohibited. However, there is a different case, and that is the case that the Rambam described in Al where the woman and the man and the woman are intending to have a permanent relationship, exclusive. The woman is not having intent to have relations with any other men. Regarding that, that doesn't fall under the prohibition of Loti Yekdashamibnoti Sled. However, because it's it's really not a Kdesha, she's not a Kdesha, she's not making herself available to, to any man that will come and ask her. However, for that, the Torah gives a positive commandment. Ah, if you want to do that, that's good, but do it in this specific way. Okay, uh, first doing the Kiddushin and then marrying her. But even if you haven't done the Kiddushin, I mean, what you're doing is not correct. It's prohibited, but it doesn't fall under the prohibition of for which you receive the more severe punishment of lashes. Okay? Now, I'll try to bring a proof for this, for what I'm saying. Again, this is not anything that I'm innovating. This is said by uh, most of the Mithoshim uh, of the Rambam. Well, I'll try to bring a very interesting proof for this, which will, I think will sort of highlight what this whole prohibition is about. Okay? And this is another passage in the Rambam. In Hilchot Na'ara Betula. Okay, so I'll, I'll just give a little background to, to what's going on here. So basically, in the Torah, and this is again also something that appears in Sefer Dvarim and Parashat Kitetzeh, we have the concept of Ones and Mefateh. Ones is somebody who rates a unmarried uh, young virgin, and Mefateh is somebody who seduces also a young uh, unmarried virgin. And in both of those cases, he has to pay a certain fine, because in essence, by having had relations with her, either through rape or through seduction, again, not with proper courtship, in essence, now she's losing out, because in those times, the Ktuva, the Mohar Beturot, which was paid to a uh, betulai virgin was of a, of a higher sum than it would be for a woman who has already been uh, who's already been uh, defiled. And in addition, in, in the case of Ones, he both pays the fine, plus he's obligated to marry her, again, if she wants to marry him. And often in those times, they would be interested in marrying because otherwise the woman may remain single for the rest of her life. Um, it was a cruel world, but that's the way things were. So that's the, the Torah therefore obligates. Uh, again, she doesn't have to marry him, but if she wants to marry him, then he's obligated to marry her, plus play the fine. By the mifateh, the one who didn't rape but used seduction, then it's either or. Either he pays the fine or he marries her. Okay? Now, the Rambam asks a very interesting question, and we'll see that he will ask this. 
and this is this is the following question. Usually in the Torah, you do when you receive punishment, the punishment is either monetary or it slashes. There, there's one exception to this, but we'll leave this aside. In other words, the person doesn't receive double punishments, okay, for uh, a uh, a sin. The punishment can either be the, the punishment of lashes or it could be a monetary fine. It's not both. Now here, you could ask in this case, he has raped or has seduced her. They have had relations outside of marriage. So why shouldn't he receive lashes, the man for having transgressed the prohibition of Loti Yet And if you'll tell me that he doesn't receive lashes, the punishment of lashes, then that should exempt him from paying the fine. Okay? So that's the question that the Rambam is going to get into. Okay? But he starts off with interpreting another verse in the Torah that seems to prohibit also relations outside the framework of marriage. Okay? And here the Rambam says as follows. Okay, we have this verse in Sefer Vayikra, which the Torah says to the father, Do not violate your daughter by making her by making her available to other men. In other words, to hire out. Uh, obviously, it's hard to imagine any father that would do such a, th- such a thing. But unfortunately, these things did happen. So the Torah warns that a man should, a father should not make his daughter available to other men for payment. Now, why would you think that this is permitted? So says Arambam as follows. Again, the mefateh and the ones, the rapist or the seduction, his punishment, as we said, is that he pays this fine and he pays it to the father of the girl who would normally receive that payment upon marriage. So therefore, the father can say the following calculation. Well, if somebody rapes my daughter, then he just has to pay me a fine. So therefore, I, I see from this that the whole issue here is just monetary. So therefore, so therefore, I can rent out my daughter to this man to have relations with her for any sum that we agree upon. Or I can even make her available for free. That a man is allowed to forfeit his money. So if the whole issue is monetary payments to me, then I can make herself available for a sum of my choosing or even for free. Okay? So that's what the Torah is coming to say. That is mistaken. Therefore, the Torah says, do not violate your, your daughter by making her available to other men. And now the Rambam explains the question that I asked, why the Onesu Mefateh only have a monetary fine and not lashes. So says the Rambam, that the Torah said that the Onesu Mefateh, the rapist or the, the person who seduces, that he only has to pay a monetary fine, but he does not receive the punishment of lashes. Because that occurred in a way that it did not happen with the consent of her father and neither with her consent. In other words, it wasn't that this girl was making, that she or her father was making her available to these men. Okay? 
he came and raped her, or he came and somehow seduced her, tricked her into having relations with her. Because that is something which is uncommon. It's not, it's not so uncommon. It's not so common that something like this would happen. But if he sets aside this girl and this girl makes her available to any man that should come and have relations with her, and the eventual result of this will be that a father will end up marrying his daughter or a brother will end up marrying his sister. Why? Because if she's available to many men, now if she becomes pregnant, we do not know who the father is. Okay? And once we have these children running around without knowing who the father is, therefore, it, it, the, the end result ultimately is going to be that a brother might end up marrying a sister. Because let's say you have two women that got pregnant, each from the same man, but, don't know, but nobody knows that because nobody knows who the father is in both cases. And they have a, one has a daughter and one has a, uh, a son, and they meet up each other, and they end up marrying each other, and really they're brother and sister. So you, you're, you've created a situation of arayot. Somebody who makes his daughter available in this way, then his essence is made her into a Kedisha. And then those that have relations will receive lashes because of this prohibition of Loti Yekdesha. The Ein Konsinoto, in that case, a fine does not apply. Because the fine was only for the rapist or the seduction, where the woman did not make herself available. But the woman who made herself available to many men, whether it was on, on her, 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 her own volition or on the volition of her father, then she is considered a Kedisha. Okay, so we see some, something very interesting here from Halambam. That we have here a situation of clearly relations not within the framework of marriage. Okay, this man came and raped this woman or tricked her into having relations with her, and she's not married, or not, clearly not married. But nevertheless, even though it's clearly wrong what he did, and therefore he has to pay the fine, and he may have to marry her, and whatever it is, it doesn't fall under the prohibition of lotiyek desha. Okay? So we have here a case of marriage, of relations outside the framework of marriage, that still do not fall under the definition of lotiyek desha. Why does it not fall under the definition of lotiyek desha? Because Loti Yekdesha is defined from the perspective of the woman. Has the woman made herself a Kedesha? And how, how, how does a woman make herself a Kedesha? By making herself available to more than one man. In this case, she did not make herself available to more than one man. He either raped her or he seduced her. But she did not make herself available to more than one man and therefore doesn't fall under the definition of Loti Yekdesha. Now, why, why is the prohibition defined from the perspective of the woman? Did she make herself available uh, to many men or not? Why, why is it dependent on the, the frame of mind of the woman? Why is it not depending on the frame of mind of the man? What is the reason Harambam gives for that? Did anybody pick up on that? I'll share the screen again. This is the, the, the words that I underlined. He says, the reason is, he says here, because if she will become pregnant, we will not know who the father is. Okay? 
In other words, the real problem, according to the Rambam, in, in, the, in the relations outside the framework of marriage, or in the, rather in the, the framework of Bina Kedusha, is that the woman essentially is making herself available to more than one man. And therefore, if a child will be born, we do not know who the father is. Okay? Why? Because when a child is born, we always know who the mother is. How can we know who the father is? Again, nowadays, we can maybe do a paternity test, etc. But in, in most of human history, the only way to ensure who the father is, is if the woman is only exclusive to one man. That, that, is, that is the only way to, to ensure knowledge of, of paternity, of who the father is. If the woman is, is available, is having relations with more than one man, we do not know who the father is. A man can have relations with many women. We will still always know who the father is as long as those women are only having relations with one man. Okay? Clearly not a very egalitarian uh, thought, but, but you know, that's, that's the reality of things. So therefore, when the Torah prohibited according to the Rambam, that prohibition, and again, you see that from the way the verse is phrased, it's phrased from the perspective of the woman. Is this woman exclusive to one man or is she available to many men? If she's available to many men, that falls under the parameters of Kedisha. Because that, that's, that's the worst case that we can describe. Why? Because that will lead to a child being born. We don't know who the father is. And then at the end of the day, we, we, we have, we will end up having a brother marrying a sister, a father marrying a daughter. If we, if we, we, don't, know who the, if we don't know who the father is when children are born. If the woman is exclusive to one man, then we ensure that, that, um, that we know who the father is. Okay? So based on this, we can, we can see the following already. The, the, what the Torah was interested in is, is, again, preserving and making sure the woman is exclusive to one man. And that is the prohibition of Loti Yekdesha. Okay? If that is not the case, for example, the case that we described where a man raped her. So that doesn't fall, I mean, that's very wrong, but that doesn't fall under the prohibition of Loti Yekdesha because she, from her perspective, she hasn't made herself available to more than one man. If we will see her pregnant, we will know who the father is. We will know that it's, unfortunately, the person who raped her, but we will still know the who the father is because she, hasn't, she isn't having relations with anybody else. So too, in the case of marriage, okay, let's say she's marrying a man, Okay, but she doesn't go through the process of kiddushin. That too doesn't fall under the prohibition of lotiyekdesha. Why not? Because again, she is exclusive to one man. She hasn't made herself available to other men. Okay. However, so that's the prohibition of lotiyekdesha. However, here I'm, I'm abbreviating. There are more sources on this in the Rambam to see, but I'll just abbreviate uh, the last point of kiddushin. What has the kiddushin done? The kiddushin. And the Gitin try to secure that very point. In other words, they say, okay, so we know the purpose of marriage is, or should be, according to the Torah, to make this woman exclusive to the man. But let's make that more clearly defined. How do we make that more clearly defined? We make that, we do that more clearly defined through the Kiddushin and the requirement of the get. In other words, how is that done? That, in essence, prior to the marriage, they should do this act which defines this woman already as exclusive to this man. And that's the act of Kiddushin. Once he give, takes that ring, gives it to her, and he says, that's it. From that moment, she's considered to be an Eshetish, 
and he has exclusive rights to having relations with her, and no other man um, has that right. And the only way that she can be released from that is if he releases her from that acquirement that he's done, and that is through the gift or through his death. Okay, those are the only two ways that that bond is released. And again, it's all focusing on, on this point to make the woman in regard so far as having relations exclusive to this man. That's the commitment uh, of marriage that the Torah is looking for. And that's what has been defined by both the prohibition of Lot Yekadesha uh, on, on that whole aspect, plus in, when it comes to marriage, also to secure the marriage through those uh, two acts of Kiddushin and the Get, which have been added to the concept of marriage, which already existed prior to the giving of the Torah. So can I, sorry, sorry to, yes. can I just ask another question? Yes, please. How would, how would the Rambam view a long-term committed relationship below Kiddushin? So again, I don't think, I, to my understanding, they would not be um, uh, transgressing the prohibition of Lot Yekdashah. However, they have not, they are, what they are doing is prohibited because they haven't done the marriage in the full way that the Torah has required because they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of Kiddushin. But that, would that be an issue of the Rabbanan, Imran? I'm not, it wouldn't be an issue that you would receive lashes for. I don't know whether to define it like a issue Rabbanan or a bitul mitzvah to say. I don't know exactly where, where to put the name on. They certainly would not receive lashes for that. I think it's clear from the Torah that that's not what the Torah wants you to do. If to call it exactly a prohibition or what, I'm not sure. The one person who is allowed, I'll just say this very briefly, this is the concept of pilegish, according to the Ramban. Pilegish is essentially a woman that you're in a long-term relationship with her without Kiddushin. However, according to the Ramban, only a king is mar- allowed to marry a pilegish. Why is the pilegish married uh, only, only permitted to a king? Because by a king, even without him doing Kiddushin, once he has a pilegish, the Pilegish is forbidden to any other man. The only man who is allowed to marry a Pilegish of a king is the next king. Okay? And uh, we have uh, Purim coming up in a few months. Uh, you see, this was also, you can see this also from the story of Ahasuerus, uh, that all the women that were brought to him, which weren't chosen to be the queen, they weren't sent back home afterwards. They were sent back to Right, and they were kept in the in the palace. Why? Because once a woman has had relations with the, with the king, by the laws of the kingship, she may not have relations with any other man. So that's why a king he's the only one that does not need the kiddushin, because by the laws of the king, he can create that exclusivity just by him being a king. So that's why, according to Rambam, pilegish is limited to a king, and it's not a ve- it's not permitted for anybody else. Okay, because again, that's what the Torah requires, not just to have that commitment. You know, by 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 desire, but actually to formalize it, to formalize it by a an act of acquiring by the husband, which is the kiddushin. Okay, any other questions or comments on that? Okay, so from this understanding, next time on Sunday, we'll we'll try to lead into the the question of how to understand civil marriage and and um, the halacha on on that whole issue. Um, just one one quick question at the, yes, from please. the very beginning. Uh, you mentioned that one of the ways that you could do kiddushin was was bia, mm-hmm. and am I am I correct in assuming that if you do it that way, and then you, you then cannot do bia again until you 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 do kupa? Is that correct? In right, other words, all, you know, one of the things you said. 
I mean, I know we don't do this today, but I'm saying, you know, technically, if in in the days when we did, if there was if if Kedushah was done by BR, then no more BR could happen until until Chutzpah. Is that my correct? Uh, correct, correct. What happens is the way you do Kedushah BR, then Hakamim prohibited to do Kedushah BR. But the way it would be done is that the man and the woman would stand would stand outside of the room, in front of witnesses. The man will say, "I'm going now to have relations with her for the purpose of Kedushin." And then they would go into the room. In other words, the witnesses obviously are not allowed to see the act of relations itself. They just see them going into a room uh, alone for the purpose of having relations. And then he has relations with her, and that is considered to be Hidushin in front of witnesses. Again, even though they only saw the Yehud, we say, hen, hen, ide, yichud, hen, ide, and from that moment, but they're only considered to be Mekudeshit. And you still have to go later on through the process of Kupa. And he's not allowed to have relations with her in the interim until he does the chupas. Okay, but Chachamim prohibited to do kiddushay biya. So the only practical way to do it is kiddushay kesef or star, and practically always do kiddushay kesef with a ring. Um, sorry for um, throwing questions at you. Just why do you think many rishonim were um? Quite, they weren't overly supportive, but they they were more supportive about the issue of pilag shut than the Rambam was. And there's many no. shutim. That, the, the, that, I'm thinking well, particularly of the uh, of the Rashba or the the ones Meyuchas the Ramban and and right. given the Rivash, I think in some cases. But I just wonder why there's there's such a difference because the Rambam is so makpid on it because the pilag shut is only as you said for a melech, but there are many other rishonim that saying. Um, I'm not sure there's any real isur here. Right. According to the Ramban, a pilagish is permitted because according to the Ramban, again, he also agrees with the Ramban that they may not have relations without that uh, intent to be exclusive. So he still, he still, he does not allow znut, the Ramban. All that he allows is a pilagish, where again, the woman is um, is solely for this man, but it's without all the formalities of the rights and the obligations, etc., of of marriage. So the Ramban, he explains that the laws of Kiddushin, etc., only apply to a woman who wishes to have the status of a Ishanisua, of a married woman. But if she's not interested in that status, then she just wants to be of the lower status of Pilegish, and that's permitted. Again, as long as she's exclusive to this man. Okay? It's, and it's really also a question of how to understand Tanakh, because we see in the Tanakh many people who were not kings that, have, that had Pilegshim. And this is the this that's one of the main questions of the Ramban on the Rambam. However, for example, uh, uh, my father-in-law, Rav Carmel, in his analysis of Tanakh, he actually claims that Tanakh supports the opinion of the Rambam because he the way he interprets all those people in Tanakh that took Pilakshim, that that was actually an attempt to declare themselves as kings. Okay, so it's also a significant question in, in Tanakh as well, this whole question of Pilakshim. But but that's that dispute. But no. Nobody disagrees on the basic point. The Ramban also agrees that Znut is prohibited. A question from which yeah. verse is prohibited, but that, that's in that point is in agreement. Diane? Yes. Um, isn't there a risk if you start defining the problem as being you won't know who the father is? I'm mm-hmm. Obviously, the, rum, the Rambam had never run into DNA testing and, you know, modern science but right. it by implication it raises a question that 
you know, now that we do can know 100% who the father is, does that, <laughs> does that undermine the halakha? If you don't base this on a form of moral positioning and rather on a, a practical knowledge positioning. Well, it's interesting. If you look in the Moren Nebuchim, he doesn't mention, he does bring other reasons aside from this, this reason of not knowing who the father is. Although it seems to be that the not knowing who the father is is sort of the primary driving force. That's the only reason um, that that he brings in uh, the Mishneh Torah. Out of the number of reasons that he brings in the Moren Nebuchim, and it's in Chele Gimel, I forget which chapter, towards the end, he brings there several other reasons. So you could you could argue for other reasons as well. But this reason seems to be the primary driving force, and it's also the one that fits the most halachic definitions. Now, I would say as follows. Whatever the Torah prohibited, even if we think it has become this reason, and we think that we may have some other solution using paternity tests, we can't change that, right? That's the halacha. This is halachot from the Torah. It's not even things that are the Rabbanan that maybe Sanhedrin can change. These things are immutable. However, where this will have very significant effect is, and this leads into, uh, I'm doing a promo for the third part of the series, when we get into fertility questions of surrogacy and egg donation, where there it doesn't fall under the parameters of intercourse, because nobody's having intercourse with anybody else. It's all being done in a lab. And there, really, the question that you have to address is just the question of will I know who the father is or will I not? And there, you will see there that the postim sort of actually followed, because there isn't the actual formal case which is prohibited, then the poskim sort of followed the tama dikra, the reasoning of behind the halacha. So they said, if it's going to lead to a case of children being born, not knowing who the father is, we'll have um, you know men donating their sperm, they won't know who the father is, and the man will marry a woman, a brother will marry a sister. And by the way, there was a, few, a case like that recently, a few years ago, that was published in the British newspapers of a man and a woman <laughs> that were biologically brother and sister that got married. They didn't know about it. You know, then they'll say that's prohibited. But if we can somehow avoid those, then it would be per permitted because, again, the, the formal prohibited act of, in of, inter of relations is not occurring. And it's also not violating, you know, this time of the Krav, a, a brother marrying a sister, etc. So I think there is significance for that, but not on the actual cases that the Torah prohibited. That we're saying just morally for, mainly for the understanding of the logic of the prohibitions and their structure. But it will have applications when we come to the sort of these modern applications of, of fertility questions. I hope that answers the, the question. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Chacham, and uh, very excited for the, the next one, which I believe will be on Sunday. Yes. And, uh, okay, thank you everyone for coming, and Chazak uh, Baruch. All right, thank you.